Hello, everyone, and welcome to another hot stove edition of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Gonna be a loaded show. We have tons of Red Sox developments to go over. They have signed all-star closer Kenley Jansen, who led the league in saves last year with the Atlanta Braves. 41 saves for him. He comes to the Boston Red Sox on a two-year, $32 million deal. Uh, The Red Sox have also signed Masataka Yoshida. Who's first, the last name's the easy one. The first name I'm gonna I'm gonna struggle with for at least a little while. I think he's gonna be called Yoshi. I think that's gonna be the the common nickname. So that that'll also be easy enough. Uh, he is an outfielder known for uh, being a good contact hitter, and uh, will be coming over from Japan. The Red Sox signed him for. Five years, ninety million. Uh, they also had to cover the fifteen million dollar posting fee. So we will be getting into him as well. If we have time, we'll talk about Judge going to the Yankees. That is a done deal. And um, try to read some more tea leaves on Xander Bogart. So with me tonight, we have Charlie Smith, who is uh, coming to us from a land. Far, far away. Yeah, it's it's been real, uh, real different for sure. But the weather's a little bit different down here than it is up north. So um, flip flop of season. So Brazil's a little bit warmer right now, just kind of rainy. That's pretty much it. Um, but happy to be back. It's been a little while. You guys look great. Uh, and ready to talk some socks uh, news because I feel like we haven't had anything good happen for the team in a really long time. So happy to chat. Absolutely. Also joining us tonight, Cody Paulson. Cody? Gentlemen, how are we doing? Good to be on here. Uh, nice to actually have something to talk about, right? Uh, Stowe's been cooking for a while. We've had the winter meetings, and it seems like you know we were on the outside looking in. So to, to have some content to talk about, to have some moves to, to discuss, to have some opinions feels refreshing at this point. Yes, uh, usually one or two developments will take place over the winter meetings. Those did wrap up today, and apparently all the agents and executives are making their way out of San Diego and back to their uh, home cities. So uh, let's go ahead and get into the Kenley Jansen acquisition. That was a name we were connected to in recent days. You know, tough to gauge how serious those were. We did sign Chris Martin, who we covered, I think, on the last episode. And, uh, you know, he comes over from the Dodgers on a two-year $17 million deal. So now uh, Jansen uh, is the next uh, major bullpen piece. So, Charlie, go ahead. Well, I'm, I'm going to be the first one to say, you know, two years, 32 million. That's pretty much the going rate for a closer these days. You see some of these other closers out there that are getting anywhere between 17 and 20 million. But um, not bummed about this. I've always liked Canley Jansen. He's always been a, a guy that I think really only once or twice, maybe three times in his career. He's been in the league for 12, 13 years. He's, he's not a home run giving pitcher. So I'm not really too concerned about the blown saves issue that's been a problem in Boston for a little bit of time. Uh, it's also nice to finally have a closer. One that we actually have with the closing title next to their name. It's not going to be the revolving door. Uh, is it going to be Brazier? Is it going to be Barnes? Is it going to be Hauk? Is it going to be Whitlock? Is it going to be insert closer name here? So for the first time in a long time, it feels like we actually have a closer for two years. The health concern is, is something that they're going to have to monitor. But like you mentioned, Terry, this is someone that led the league in saves, led the league in, um, you know, games finished too. That was one thing that he had done on a, a pretty consistent basis. He doesn't blow saves. And his ERA, for the most part, is pretty low. While his ERA was above three this year, the year before that was just barely over two. So maybe the change of scenery will be will do him some good. He's only played for two teams in his career. He was a longtime Dodger, then one year 
with Atlanta. It's going to be interesting to see how he adjusts to cold weather because it's not always warm in uh, September uh, towards the end of the season, but my hope is that he'll be okay. But uh, this actually gives me a, a little reason to be excited. I know a couple people were going back and forth with me like, oh, God, he's, you know, he sucks and this, that, and the other. But he's been with the Red Sox for two minutes. He hasn't even thrown a pitch yet. It's really unfair to, to judge him already considering he hasn't thrown a pitch. Who, who, who do you want to close games for us right now? Kenley Jensen is eons better than any of the other options that we had. So this allows the opportunity for how to not be there uh, in the closer role. I'm, I'm just, I'm super excited. I don't want to keep, you know, word vomiting here because I'm sure Cody's going to have his two cents to put in there too. And, and, and you as well, Terry. So I'm, I'm going to defer to Cody for this one. You hit a lot of uh, good points there, right there on, on the head, right? Um, you know, he's a guy that has closer pedigree. He's a guy that has, you know, played well in big spots, um, yeah, can take the ball in, in those late innings, get those four or five out uh, saves if, if needed. You know, sure, we're not getting the Kenley. Uh, that was automatic when he was, you know, coming up with the Dodgers. But, you know, you're also paying for a guy that isn't exactly, you know, that dude either, which – gives us some flexibility to to continue to make trades, to make some moves, to make some additional signings. But, you know, like you mentioned, this gives us some clarity to what the rotation and what the, the bullpen is going to look like. And for a lot of these guys, I think that's what we were craving. You know, if you look back to our season last year, it was like Charlie mentioned, a revolving door. Who's going to come out in the eighth, you know, Oh, you know, we're in a pincher in the sixth. Do we pull the starter? Have we got the start of the, the fifth or sixth inning? And, you know, as, as you start building the bullpen backwards uh, to forward, this gives us just a better idea of who's going to come out when. And if you have a, a, Mount, a Martin, Houck, uh, Jansen, you throw Schreiber in there, the bullpen is starting to take shape. If uh, Jolie Rodriguez turns out to be, you know, a guy that can miss some bats as well, the game starts to shorten in our favor. And that's something that we haven't seen in a while. And I'm very much looking forward to to having a guy that I'm not going to be worried about. Can't handle it when the lights get bright. You know, you look at a guy like Dylan Batanzas money, eighth inning guy for the Yankees for the longest time. When he was in, we weren't sniffing the ball, but whenever he was the guy in the ninth inning, I knew we were fine. He just didn't have it for whatever reason. His stuff played great in the eighth inning, but he couldn't get it done in the ninth. He couldn't get those final outs. And we know with a guy like Henley, even if his stuff isn't what it used to be, he can still get those outs. He's a gamer. He's a guy that um, likes the big moments. And I think that's going to do wonders for not only the team in the next two years, but uh, grooming the guys that we have coming up. I don't hate the signing. And, you know, I'm I'm usually the first guy who's going to going to criticize it, but like Charlie said, we haven't had a bona fide closer since Craig Kimbrell in 2018. And if you think about it, before him, it was Koji Uihara for just one year in 2013. And then before him, it was Jonathan Papelbon going all the way back to 2007. So this is only the fourth bona fide closer we've had in 15 years. That's just absolutely insane. It's also the first time in Heim Bloom's tenure as an executive anywhere where he spent money on a bullpen. He's never spent high dollars for a reliever. Jansen will get $16 million for each of his two years. What's his name there? Chris Martin uh, recently acquired. He's going to get um, probably, what, eight and a half. And uh, Charlie, your keyboard's going. Sorry. Uh, so anyway, um, so you know, it's kind of a, a first for Bloom to to put together a, a pen like this. And um, Jansen's never posted a, an ERA uh, above three seventy one. That was in twenty nineteen. That was a very up and down year for him. Uh, it was looking like it could potentially be the end of the road for him. That was his age thirty one season. He'd he'd been a you know a, a high end reliever for eight years at that point, and when you're talking about an aspect of, of a team that has a short shelf life, you know it was reasonable to think that. But he had a huge resurgence uh, in 2021, like Charlie said, and so just yeah, uh, I do want to get into his medical history though, 
you know, just so people know. Now, am I am I real worried? No, but the casual Red Sox fan probably isn't too familiar with it. So it's extensive. I'm going to read it out and um, just kind of bear with me on this. Uh, Jansen was diagnosed in 2011 with an irregular heartbeat, specifically atrial fibrillation. He missed some time that season while he was placed on blood thinners to prevent blood clots. The problem resurfaced in 2012, and he again missed considerable time while being treated. In October of 2012, uh, Jansen underwent a three-hour catheter ablation procedure by someone whose name I can't pronounce. I will refer to him as Dr. K. Uh, Dr. K identified abnormal tissue in his left atrium and cauterized it to stop it from generating abnormal electrical signals. Six years later, Jansen uh, suffered a recurrence. Charlie, you're not on mute. I don't know if you keep coming off. Okay, sorry. Um, so six years later, Jansen uh, suffered a recurrence of a uh, regular heartbeat prior to a game in Denver. Uh, that was in August of 2018. He was again placed on the 10-day injured list, uh, and the team reported he would likely miss a month of the season. However, doctors uh, determined the condition could be controlled with medication until the offseason. Uh, Jansen uh, returned just 11 days later. Uh, however, the heart medication he took, uh, which include beta blockers, had the side effects of leaving him feeling fatigued and unemotional. He gave up four home runs in his first two outings back, blowing both save opportunities. And after he protested the effects of his uh, medication, doctors switched him to, wait for it, aspirin. Jansen stayed in uh, Los Angeles when the Dodgers returned to Denver in September because he was a high risk of a stroke if he returned to high elevation. Jansen completed the season uh, and provided scoreless relief in seven of nine postseason appearances, allowing two runs in 10 and two-thirds innings. That's a 1.69 ERA. One month later, after the 2018 season, Jansen underwent a five-and-a-half-hour heart ablation procedure, uh, which was again performed by Dr. K in Los Angeles. After the procedure, the doctor told Jansen that the small veins near the site of his 2012 procedure had grown and were agitated by dehydration, uh, which uh, ended up causing the uh, regular signal, <laughs> excuse me, signals that occurred in Denver. Jansen afterwards uh, dedicated himself to a healthier diet after recovering from the operation reported to spring training 25 pounds lighter uh, and uh, no longer was taking the blood thinning medication. Everything was fine until June of 2022. Jansen again last season did have to go on the injured list uh, as a result of his irregular heartbeat. I could not find any specific information on that, uh, including when he was reactivated. They didn't say what they had discovered uh, in recent weeks, but he did uh, not pitch uh, after June uh, 26th until July 13th, so missed roughly three weeks uh, in 2022 due to this. So... Like I said, that's all extensive. I would be shocked if he doesn't miss time while he's with us. Based on his history, apparently doctors have said it's something he's going to deal with for the rest of his life. So having said that, I hope Red Sox medical staff or doctors close to the Red Sox have uh, at least reviewed his medicals i don't know if a physical took place but for him to get a two-year deal there must be a, a high degree of confidence he's gonna serve out that contract 
um, pretty well. So uh, let's get into uh, what we think the back end of the bullpen will look like. So I think we'll all agree Jansen is the closer. I mean, at $16 million. <laughs> goes without saying. Uh, it gets interesting after him. Uh, do you want Tanner Houck? As the setup guy, uh, you know, pretty impressive two months from him. Or would you prefer Chris Martin, who isn't getting paid quite as much as Jansen, but still back end of the bullpen money? So, how do you guys see it slotting out? Charlie, we'll start with you. Yeah. So, my mic right now says I'm muted, but you can hear me. I can hear you. So, I wonder if it's the opposite. That's very bizarre. Is it the opposite? Yeah. I, now it says I'm live. Your mute button don't work. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's very sad. But uh, so I'm gonna take a you know a little gander into. Anyways, um, I'm okay with how being a a setup guy if that's gonna be something he feels comfortable with. If Tanner Houck doesn't have an ability to develop a third pitch, then there doesn't really make much sense having him in the rotation. He does not have the two most dominant pitches in Major League Baseball. That being said. He has the ability of being a 7th, 8th inning guy. He can pitch two innings. You have Garrett Whitlock that can do the same thing. You now have extra additional value in two relievers that have the uh, potential of, of going an inning plus. Do I want them pitching the same day? No, I do not. Why? Because they can both serve the same purpose. It does not make any sense to have both of them come in for two innings or an inning and a half each, unless we're going to be having them both commit to being every fifth day, you know, appearance. And then also maybe one, two possible appearances outside of that. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, Martin, I'm still kind of curious about because he had a ridiculous year last year. He also had a year in which a lot of pitchers in Los Angeles had really, really good seasons. Anderson being one, um, uh, Tony Gonsolin being another as far as two starters. I mean, they just didn't, I think they lost like two, maybe three games combined, which is insane. So I'm curious to see how Martin can do in a repeat performance, but that that's just, you know, that's just one guy. Um, there's absolutely no way you, you sign Kenley Jansen to be a reliever and not the closer that defies logic. So we can, we can nip that one right now. That is our closer for the next two years, period. There's going to be a fight to see who gets the seventh, who gets the eighth. But right now, Hauk is going to be fighting for it. Whitlock possibly could be fighting for it. Martin has a chance for it. I don't know what's going to happen with with some of our other people that we had last year in, in the bullpen, but this is the first time in several years I'm actually excited about our bullpen. I'm not excited about everything right now until other players sign, but at least our bullpen is starting to look formidable. The past couple of years, we couldn't really say that. Cody, how do you see the back end shaping out? I mean, you have Halk be the de facto closer last year after we moved Whitlock to the rotation. So I think it's in the most logical sense to slide him from the ninth back into the eighth inning and then get Martin to, to take the seventh. Um, you know, just looking at it from 30,000 feet. But at this point, I just want to see outs, right? Whatever whatever it takes for us to get to the ninth inning to get the ball into to Kenley's hands, um, I'll, I'll take it. You know, would I, would I like to uh, have the flexibility to to pitch the guys as necessary, maybe throw in Barnes if if the splits are good? Sure, you know, save the arms, keep them fresh as, as long as we can. Like Charlie mentioned, you know, you don't want to see the guys uh, pitching on the same day if, if, if you don't have to. Um, to me, that, that kind of seems like the most logical answer. Um, you know, how can set them up with the, the fastball and wipe them out with the slider. Um, I see no reason why you wouldn't give Hulk the eighth inning. I think he's earned it off the back of what he did last year. Terry, you mentioned that he had those, those great two months, um, you know, before they shut him down with what I believe was a back injury, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'm fine giving him the eighth until he until he proves us otherwise, and you know we can start Martin in the seventh. Um, and if you know if he's spectacular and he's outperforming outperforming Hulk, you know I'll be the first to say this guy needs to get more meaningful outs. I have no idea how they're going to do it. My preference uh, 
like yours would be to have Hauk in the eighth inning. Martin was disgusting in L.A., not so disgusting the first half of the year in Chicago with a 4.31. I said in the last show, I think that speaks to each team's respective pitching programs. Dodgers, obviously, uh, you know, cranking out good pitchers left and right. I mean, we saw Tony Gonzalez have a breakout year. Dustin May, before and after Tommy John, looks pretty filthy. And um, so no surprise that Chris Martin goes over there and just goes on a uh, an insane run there. So hopefully the Red Sox can can continue what what we've seen out of him. But but for me, really, with this entire bullpen, whether it ends up being, you know, less than what we think it is, which hopefully is still serviceable or perhaps it'll exceed our expectations, or perhaps be one of the best, you know, top three or four in MLB. The the one guy I think that really solidifies it all is going to be John Schreiber. If he has a great year and can continue with what he did last year, I think it takes the pressure off of everybody else, and I think this bullpen is going to be probably as dynamic as it's been since maybe 2013. Uh, while I'm here, I'm just pulling up Hauk's numbers. So uh, I don't know when he, uh, let's see. Well, let's go back to, uh, let's see, June 25th. So from that point forward, he had... Roughly, it looks like 11 or 12 appearances, nine of them scoreless out of the bullpen. So that was uh, pretty effective work from Hauk. And a, a few of those appearances were were more than one inning. He's got a couple that were one and two-thirds, uh, a couple of two-inning outings there. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll we'll take that every time. In fact, here's a good one for you. Three straight appearances against the New York Yankees in July, all scoreless shut down the Yankees. So, um, that, that's why I, uh, I'm a big proponent of Tanner Houck, uh, you know, in that, in that late inning spot, there is also some talk. Let's, let's talk about this. Cause it was a big topic in our war room today. How open are you guys to trading Tanner Houck? Because that could be a possibility here. If the Red Sox are dead set on Martin and Jansen in the eighth and ninth innings, uh, respectively, do you trade Hauk? I mean, it really comes down to, you know, what are you getting back from, right? If it's if it's from Murphy, I'm, I'm all the way out on that. I don't think, you know, what we're going to get out of the out of the A's is is necessarily worth what we're going to lose in in roster performance from, you know, where we're really hurting as a, as an organization. Charlie don't want to do it. I, I no, no, I think there's still untapped potential there. And I mean, similar to what Cody just said, um, for everything that you could potentially get for someone who's not quite 30 yet, I feel that there's still untapped potential that we haven't hit yet. And, I don't think it's worth the the ask. And have we, have we even heard what the ask is going to be? I would assume Bloom would mostly be looking for major league ready talent uh, in a deal for Hauk. Right. And if we were to get a Murphy from Oakland, what do they want? Hauk would be part of it. And I think Oakland also surprisingly said that they want major league ready pieces as well. And that was uh, specifically uh, when they were talking to the St. Louis Cardinals, who have since pivoted and signed Wilson Contreras. So the A's are looking looking for for major league talent as well. I don't know if if Hosmer could be part of that deal uh, on the cheap money he's at. I don't know who the... A's have replaced Matt Olson with at at first base, but 
Um, not that Hosmer's going to be that good anyway, but um, we do have some extra pieces, though. And and he's one of them, so. But I'm, I'm, I've always been a Hulk guy, though. Me I've too. Always been, I've always liked Hulk, and I, I just... I don't like letting go of, of pieces that it's like, you know, it's like Bloom. Bloom doesn't want to get rid of pieces that he drafted that he helped get. He wants to get rid of other people's pieces that he doesn't have an emotional attachment to. How I'm kind of the same way. Like I have an emotional attachment to Hauk. Like I had one with Michael Chavis. That's why I was so pissed when he was moved for nothing. And say what you want to say. It's, it, it was, it was the wrong move. Then it was still the wrong move. Now, you can argue it every which way you want to. You are wrong. If you think that sending Michael Chavis away was the right decision, you are an idiot. I'm done. Charlie loves Michael Chavis, but, um, I'm, I'm just hardcore. I'm a hardcore now on Tanner Houck and the vaccine, which was a major problem last year. If we thought we were going to be facing Toronto potentially in the postseason. That's not uh, an issue anymore. You don't need to be vaccinated to go to Toronto. Um, so, I mean, unless there's some behind-the-scenes stuff we don't know about that, that's been problematic uh, surrounding Hauk, and I, I would be shocked if there was, um, I don't really see a need to, to trade him. I love the swagger he has. Uh, you know, Dennis Eckersley calls him Cool Hand Luke, and... Uh, I I want him to to stay on the team. He's controllable for the next four seasons. So I think you combine that with the value that he adds to our team specifically, right? Um, you know, we're fresh off of one of the worst bullpens that we've seen in our lifetimes, and he was one of the few bright spots or one of the few spots when he came out of the pen. You're like, okay, we at least have a chance to get out of this inning if not, you know, a great scoreless ending opportunity. And so, you know, is he a great piece? Is he controllable? Does he have, you know, two great pitches with a, a chance to learn a third and become something even more successful? Absolutely. But he was also, I mean, he's never going to be more valuable to another organization than he is to us for what he can do for, for our specific situation either. Couldn't agree more. All right. Just going through my notes here. I think we are good as far as Jansen. So let's shift gears. Uh, we now know what our outfield is going to look like. And um, the acquisition of Masataka Yoshida. Uh, he will likely slot into left field, which leads me to believe maybe he's not the smoothest defender. That would uh, put Kike still in center with Alex Verdugo, assuming he's not traded over and right. But Charlie, go ahead. Masataka Yoshida now has the coolest name in the American League East. It's not even close. You you can't even sniff that name if you're second, third best name. Masataka Yoshida. I'm really curious to see if he ends up playing left field, how he's going to manage playing against or playing at Fenway Park with that monster right behind him. That's going to be one of the biggest tests. I'm also struggling because, Tara, I know you had a tweet that I just want you to preface it before I start talking. Can you just mention your tweet? Okay. So it's going to be kind of a dead giveaway that I don't have. I'm not looking at this through the rosiest of glasses, but um, here are the salary breakdowns of the three outfielders. Alex Verdugo will make $7 million in 2023. Kike Hernandez will make $10 million in 2023. And then you have Masataka Yoshida, who will be making $18 million. And I put two asterisks next to that. And then at the bottom, I, uh, I noted that Yoshida was possibly the third best outfielder of the three. He's making nearly double what Kike's making and uh, not quite triple what Verdugo's making, but almost. So playing in Japan, playing in Korea, playing in the Dominican leagues, not the same like it is playing in the U.S. There have been very few players that have crossed the pond and done phenomenal work. 
the easiest and I think most memorable player in our time is Ichiro Suzuki that really just went by one name. If you said Ichiro, you knew who you were talking about. There is only one. You didn't need to mention his last name. Masataka has the ability to be that if you mention Masataka. If he can be half that good. If he can be a third that good. He could potentially live up to that contract. A lot's going to a lot's going to go into um to him. There's going to be for the first time in his career major pressure to perform. This is somebody that hasn't necessarily played every single game of every single season that he's been a part of. Why I'm a little bit happy about it and why I'm a little bit sad. Two different things. Why I'm a little bit happy. We're finally shelling out big money. This is the first time we've signed two big names uh, or two big contracts rather in one offseason with with Bloom, it feels like. Last year, we just had Story and that was it. And it was really with moments seconds later uh seconds left in the in the uh, off season before the regular season started and really it was like the JD Martinez thing where it felt like the season was already beginning and we still didn't have story there I don't know if Yoshida can be the everyday superstar player that we need him to be and my prayer is that the pressure that will be on his shoulders will not be too severe he can be a 2020 guy uh in the bigs. He's not a, a stolen bases guy. He can hit over 300, which is incredible. He scores a lot. Why is this so important? Again, the pressure that he's going to be under because he's going to be making a lot more money than Kike Hernandez, who is a fan favorite. He's going to be making more money than Alex Verdugo, who also is a fan favorite. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on him to deliver quickly. And my hope is that if he struggles, the fans don't let him know that all right away. Because when you're transferring over from one country style of play to this one, there's a lot of difference. There's major changes. The dimensions of the park is one. There, there are so many changes. So my hope is that Boston embraces him, accepts the change, understands that it's not going to be overnight assume positive intent that he's doing everything possible. He knows how much money he's making. And and hopefully maybe we'll just, we'll be blessed with getting a little bit of a miracle for a couple seasons. Cody. Man, I uh, I don't know if I need to start going before Charlie or, or what, but he, he's Go making a lot of great future. points. Go before Oh, man. Um, I, I think a lot of it is going to be managing the expectations for him, right? You know, we finally outbid some people today, right? We beat the Giants and the Blue Jays, allegedly, amongst some other teams for for Kenley. Um, there was a lot of other pro ball organizations that would have loved to have um, Mashitaka. Um, his services, he's a foul pole to foul pole hitter. He puts the ball in play. He hits gaps. He puts barrels on balls, right? That's That's what we need in our lineup at this moment in time, right? You look at Devers' season last year. I think he had 27 home runs and had under 90 RBIs. Xander under 80 RBIs. Martinez not a lot of not a lot of stakes. Story had that great stretch where it seemed like he was hitting three run jacks every time he was up. But outside of that, it's a lot of solo home runs in our lineup. The table wasn't set. There was nobody getting on base at the top of the order. So if Devers were to go yard, it's not a crooked number. The lineup is is solid, right? Uh, a bright spot for our organization last year was, I think, fourth in the league in runs scored. That's awesome. And if we were able to lengthen that lineup and take even more pressure off of our rotation and some of the other guys, I think that's great. We need to make these extra base hits count a little bit more. And I think that's what this guy can do for us. It's exciting to have a player that, you know, is a little bit unknown. Sure, there have been horror stories of unproven prospects coming from, you know, faraway lands. But at this point in time, you know, we haven't seen a lot uh, from this front office in terms of making splash moves in the offseason. And, you know, to see Bloom open up the pocketbook a little bit to make some some signings that could immediately make us better and give some more clarity to what the outfield looks like, what the lineup could look like, 
the DH spot if you know he needs a breather. I think that's that's all going to help us down the road. Mitch Hanniger was a popular name in the war room. Uh, that was the type of bat I felt like the Red Sox needed, you know, out in the outfield. Uh, Kike might hit, hit around, you know, 20 dingers in a year, 30 or more um, extra bases. And uh, Alex Verdugo, probably 10 or 12 home runs. I don't know that Yoshida's power. He did hit, uh, let's see, 21 home runs last year uh, in Japan, uh, 335 average. He's a career 327 hitter uh, and 133 uh, home runs uh, overall. And that's all since 2016. So he probably projects out, if all goes well, as roughly about a 15 uh, to 20 a year guy. Um, but here's my problem. As far as hitters go, guys from the Japanese market, the Korean market, they seldom ever pan out. Pitchers do quite often. But in the war room, I asked, besides Shohei Otani, Ichiro Suzuki, and Hideki Matsui, besides those three, I mean, name another one that really panned out really well. Uh, Andrew came back with Shinsu Chu, which fair enough. He was pretty good for a number of years. His uh, long-term deal with Texas didn't work out too well, but in Cincinnati uh, certainly did, um, you know, put up some robust numbers. But the other names uh, coming back in the war room was Nori Aoki, who I, I mean, he's a seven or eight hole guy, which isn't what we need uh, out in, if if Yoshida ends up being basically that, I, I think our outfield is going to be pretty underwhelming again. Uh, so I'm not, I'm just not thrilled with the signing. Um, Seiya Suzuki didn't have a terrible year last year, but did he live up to the hype? No, I forget the name of the Padres second baseman that that was a popular. Uh, name that offseason amongst Red Sox fans. He completely fizzled. I think his last name might be Arahara, something like that. I don't uh, don't quote me, but he's basically not even an everyday player uh, with San Diego these days. Uh, it's just I wanted an upgrade. You look at those World Series years, we always had a a great outfield. You had Manny and Trot Nixon and Johnny Damon in 04. Uh, 2007, you still had Manny. You had Jacoby Ellsbury and um, J.D. Drew. Love him or hate him, I, I always thought Drew was pretty uh, pretty productive. Um, 2008, much of the same. Um, 2013, who did we have? We had Victorino in right, Ellsbury in center. Then you had the Nava and Gomes platoon in left field. I loved that. I thought it was great. Johnny Gomes, especially off the bench late, one of the best clutch pinch hitters I've ever seen. And then finally in 2013, you had Jackie Bradley, uh, was, which was the weakest of the three, Mookie Betts and, and Andrew Benintendi, who had a pretty good year that year. Those are... Those are championship outfields. So we're going to go out there this year again with Alex Verdugo, Kike Hernandez, and then a complete wild card and um, Yoshida, who's making $18 million. Could be the second highest paid guy on the team, second or third. So I'm concerned. Question for you, Terry. Yeah, yes. You mentioned J.D. Drew there, who I personally um, – a big fan of, right? You know, a, a career 280-ish guy, had a lot of injuries, uh, unfortunately, which really kind of curtailed the productivity that he could have had. But if we were to get 280 and 15 to 20 bombs out of Yoshida, would you be would you be satisfied with that signing? That would be very productive. I, I would I would probably take that. Is that 18 million? Not so sure, but that's it's productive. Here's my other concern. Here's why I think they don't, you know, live up to the hype. In Japan, they're basically playing, you know, 4A 
type pitchers. That's who they're hitting off of. So in mm-hmm. between AAA and the major leagues. And then those 4A pitchers don't have the advanced analytics that Garrett Cole's going to have to go after this guy. And even just a number three on any rotation, they're going to have all the tools over here to know how to attack Yoshida. None of the guys over there do. So that that's a big reason to why I I just I think they struggle. And I mean those are those are totally fair points. I'm not I'm not pushing back on the trepidation per se. Um I'm not pushing back on the the idea that he's not going to produce the same numbers that he has in Japan, because you're absolutely right. It's a step up in the level of competition. It's a step up in the preparation. Um, you know, anybody that comes over probably does pretty well at the beginning and then they get tape on the guy, right? You see that across all sports. You see that across all leagues. And so, you know, that's why I was like wondering what is, what is that lower threshold that ends up becoming, Hey, I'm, I'm okay with this signing, right? You know, I think he's what a career three twenty hitter in Japan. So if he drops that 40 points and it's still 280, I mean, that that's great to be able to to drop 40 points and still have it be a, a great average. I was just I was just curious as to kind of where were you, I guess, bottoming out on on Yoshida? I mean, I'm going to laugh if he, he hits 230 with a 285 on base and just kind of struggles and it's a it's a five-year deal it's it's a massive risk and part of the the microcosm for this is it's not a great outfield market this year the red sox were connected to hanniger and it was said that texas was our main um you know competitor for him he ends up signing with the giants because he's from san jose pretty close to um san francisco so geography was a big winner, you know, uh, um, somebody with Texas, who was that that signed with them? Oh, I'm drawing oh. blanks. Zach Eflin was another guy who runner up on. Thank God I would have, I would have crucified that signing, but he's from the Orlando area signed yeah. with Tampa. Um, and then I, Abreu obviously wasn't, a local signing because he's from Cuba, but he was another guy we were runner up on. So we were runner up on all these guys like Bloom just couldn't get anybody that wanted to come to Boston. So a byproduct of that is we're going to take a risk on, on a Japanese player. Now, if he lives up to his hype, I'll be the first to admit I'm wrong. It, it happens roughly once a season. Last year it was Waka. I don't know who it was in 2021, but um, but man, I just was hoping for something sexier. Charlie, go ahead. So here's the thing. We're at a point now where we just spent $32 million for, uh, I want to say an upper tier closer. If you just get that and you make no other additions, what was the point of getting your closer? You have to spend money. Um, in 2006, Boston Red Sox got Daisuke Matsuzaka. It was a six-year, 54, six-year, 56. It was something in the 50s. It's called 655. After the posting fee, it was like six years, 105 million. That's pretty much what this guy got is 105 million. Granted, it's, it's over five years as opposed to six. Not as much risk because there's five years as opposed to six years. But Cody hit it right on the head too. This is somebody that... Uh, has no blueprints. No team knows exactly what to do with him for the first couple of years. He might walk 150 times. Do I think that's going to happen? No. Do I think he's going to strike out like 30 times like Ichiro? No, I, I don't think so either. But until there's a blueprint for this guy, Yoshida is going to be raking. Masataka Yoshida is going to rake not only when teams say his name, it's going to be one of the situations that's going to be fun, it's going to be exciting. But here's the thing. You just added Yoshida. You just got Jansen. You're going to end up getting one of those other two big names because if you don't, then again, what the hell was it all for? So It becomes like the trade deadline where it, you, pretty much. you make one move to, to go for it, but you also make one move to, to sell, right? It's, it's sitting on a fence again. Right, right. And, and I think right now the Red Sox have to be buyers. 
We, we can't just do this half-assed, oh, yeah, we'll be fine, because that's what it's been for the past couple of years, the we'll be fine approach, or we'll, we'll plug the hole with some tape approach. That's not going to cut it for me. It sure as hell is not going to cut it for you, Terry. And I don't think it's going to cut it for the, the fans that have been honest with themselves, as opposed to those that say, ah, we're so close. No, we're not. We're still eons away. Offensively, we have major holes to fill. Like you're trying to put gum and tape on a hole the size of a Volkswagen. It's not going to hold. You're going to need to do a little more. But I at least am going to err on the side of being positive with Yoshida because I have no reason to not be. We just got a closer. We just got him. It feels like the spending spree that we had a couple years ago prior to Bloom taking over at the helm. Um, pardon the boat jokes, references, whatever you want to call them. There's been a few tonight. Uh, we just need to keep trending in the right direction. It's going to happen, but it's going to take a little bit of time and a little bit of patience. With the pitching market, we've had great success over there. We can go back and forth on whether Dice K was successful or not. I mean, we won a ring in 07. He was fantastic in 2008. And then after that, you know, tons of injuries. But then you had Hideki Okajima, who was a great setup guy in the late 2000s. Um, Koji for one season was phenomenal, although he had pitched elsewhere in the league, but still um, pitched most of his career in Japan. And then, of course, Junichi Tozawa, who was a great setup man for uh, a couple of years as well, uh, most notably under Uihara. So I'm definitely more open to the pitching side of it. Uh, that Singa guy, I don't know his first name, but a lot of people are high on him. Uh, he's the top, uh, you know, Japanese pitcher on the free agent market out here uh, this year. So I don't know if that's another move uh, Bloom will make. They The Red Sox are interested in getting another starter, uh, which sounds good, but the horrifying thing to me was it was almost Zach Eflin for two or three years who hasn't really been good ever. You know, he's been you know, mediocre, uh, at best. So, um, not a big, um, uh, not a big fan of the offensive side of that market, but the pitching, um, is pretty good. Jen McCaffrey just, uh, retweeted, uh, the Red Sox believe Masataka Yoshida's contract and plate discipline should translate well to MLB and Fenway Park. So a little bit of optimism amongst the, uh, the front office, obviously. Uh, so let's get into some other stuff. Um, as of right now, which is 1144 Eastern time on uh, Wednesday night, there is no Xander Bogart signing. Uh, there was a lot of momentum earlier in the day, or at least momentum that was being talked about amongst the beat writers, but uh, all has quieted down. Charlie, what's your read on that? I'd be a little bit more PO'd if we hadn't signed a closer and uh, an exciting name to be shouted in the stands. But I will admit, um, you know, it, it's already Thursday here. Uh, I really hope that we sign one of them. But how awesome would it be if we signed both? If they decided to do like a joint press conference, like we each decided that we want to stay together. We just got a closer here. Kike was promised that we're going to build something magical here. We're going to keep a strong team together. I would love nothing more than to see a dual slash joint press conference where they announce together that they've signed extensions with the Red Sox to play out their careers here and do what was best not only for them, but for the team and then also the fans. Because I think that would win them over. I, I think Xander needs to be able to win over these fans. Devers, I mean, he's still got a little bit more leash here, a little bit younger. But if they were to do it together, you know, mano and mano, I, I find few things that could be even better than that. And honestly, would extend an even longer leash for High and Bloom. Because right now, if you don't, if you don't get this done. It's going to be really hard for anybody to say, yeah, you deserve to still be here. Are you really doing everything you possibly can? So 
I'm just counting down the moments. If we sign one, I'm hoping the other one is not too long right after that. But damn it, if you don't sign one of those two, this was a waste. It felt like for about an hour, hour and a half there that anytime we refresh Twitter, that could have been the time that, you know, you got the news, right? Xander signs for five, six, seven, whatever, whatever the deal ends up being, right? We obviously have no idea. Uh, we can always speculate on what we think the deal is going to be. Um, I, it was an exciting time to be a, a Red Sox fan, right? You know, we heard that they were in heavy talks or heavy conversations, which, you know, we can do a whole podcast on what that means. But you know, if, if like you were to say, Charlie, if Bloom signs, Xander, Devers follows closely behind and we get a starting pitcher, I mean, is that an A-plus offseason for the front office? I think it might be, right? I mean, you you bolstered the bullpen, which was our biggest, um, potentially our, our biggest <laughs> shortcoming last year. I know we had a lot of them. You went out, you got a table setter, you readdressed and you solidified your core of, of the lineup, and then, you you know, you deepened the rotation Really, what else could you ask? You know, it, we're starting to see things shake a little bit loose. Obviously, um, you know, we woke up to that judge contract uh, in, in New York, and I think that that really kind of got things moving for for other front offices, right? You know, Contreras signed shortly thereafter. Then, you know, the Red Sox decided to wake up and and start making their moves too. Um, I don't know how serious we were we were talking with Aaron. I don't know if we were waiting for some you know, miracle there, but. Um, if we can, if we can bring back Xander for the remainder of his career at the right at the right number, I'll be the first one to say, "Hey, that's a great signing." Um, the last thing I want to do is is give this guy eight two forty or something crazy, and we end up, you know, regretting the back half of that deal. Love Xander, always been very grateful for what he's done for the organization. Um, one thing I would be wary of if we do re-sign him is if we give him the captaincy. Uh, shortly after it sounds like the Yankees are going to do the same thing with judge. And I just think the optics of that would look pretty, pretty bad. I'm the only guy on the crew that would prefer not to give Xander Bogarts a long-term deal. Uh, I'll admit the short term, it's pretty tough because we just covered Yoshida. I mean, I think we can all agree that he should be better than anything we had out in right field last year. Jackie Bradley, Franchi, uh, Arroyo had a couple of doozies. Um, so that part is better. But in order to get better than you were in 2022, you, you still have to have a productive guy at shortstop, which is going to be hard. You need to replace J.D. Martinez's production and preferably like his earlier production in, in previous years. Um, and then you got a, you had a, a semi-productive guy in Vasquez. So you got you to gotta fill those spots, hopefully as equally as you can. Maybe, maybe Casa steps up and that's some, you know, that makes up for some of the production in those three areas uh, because we weren't really getting that at first base either. So, so part of me, you know, in a way will concede that, yeah, Xander's the safe play right now, even though it's not going to age well, uh, you know, after a few years. And then part of me is like, well, you got two stud prospects for your middle infield and they're going to be completely blocked because you'll have Xander and Story. And and so I think Bloom, due to his, I mean, he's taken a beating from Red Sox fans, from the beat writers at times. I truly believe he doesn't really want to bring back Bogarts for, for many of the concerns that I have, but I think he's backed himself into a corner to where he kind of needs to save himself, uh, you know, as far as public perception goes. And that might be a big part of, of why he might pursue him. And perhaps ownership might be putting pressure on him as well. Uh, so it's it's tough to really know. And I know the owners were engaged uh, in the discussions uh, with Xander and Scott Boris uh, the night before last. So they've been active in these uh, conversations. 
Here's another thing, too, and this is what gives me a little bit of pause as well. How does Trey Turner sign for 11 years and we're going to potentially sign Xander for seven? Like, it's hard to imagine that that disparity will play out that way. I think the Red Sox have to go at a minimum eight years. And I just don't know. It's. Xander has a lot of leverage right now. It's one of the more fascinating situations we've seen, you know, play out over the course of, uh, you know, a hot stove. Charlie, any thoughts? No, got nothing. Not anymore, man. I'm 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 gonna keep my fingers crossed, my toes crossed. When I wake up in a few hours, I'm gonna hear breaking news: Red Sox have re-signed Robin Devers and Xander Bogarts. That's been the trend. I mean, Turner left forty million dollars on the table that he could have taken had he signed with the Padres. Judge left forty million uh, on the table as well had he signed with the Giants. So. I mean, if the Red Sox can get to somewhere between 200 and 220, maybe a deal gets done. That would be an eight-year deal. Um, but it's just, I don't know if it's going to happen. I, I've never been so conflicted on on a free agent. When Lester was a free agent, I was all in. I wanted him to re-sign so bad. Um, with Mookie, I was resigned to the fact he wasn't going to sign anyway, so... It was what it was, and here we are with Xander. (laughs) Just absolutely insane. Um, So we'll wrap up with this. Judge to New York, again, I just alluded to that. Um, That was my steadfast, you know, prediction for basically the whole season, and uh, I just couldn't imagine – the Yankees allowing him to leave and judge even wanting to leave. I mean, he's, he's the closest thing to, to Mickey Mantle in New York (laughs) since Mickey Mantle. I mean, in terms of legendary stature, I mean, who, who else has there been? I guess, obviously Derek Jeter, A-Rod wasn't beloved like judge is, you know, so. Uh, Cody, go ahead. Lead us off on that one. I believe it was nine for three sixty, right? For an AAV of, of forty a year. That's correct. Um, I'm over the moon, right? I mean, the dude is empty calories. Uh, you know, there's been a story that the the juiced baseballs have found their way into Yankee Stadium more than than any other stadium. You know, so you have a guy. Uh, that seemingly can't stay on the field year after year. He's had a couple of great seasons when he's on the field. He's in a great talent. Absolutely. Um, you know, playing in that bandbox stadium, but nine years is a long time for a guy and to be, to be hemmed up for 40 million, the dude doesn't show up when it matters. He got his first walk off hit this season. I mean, it's great for us. It would have, this was, this was a win win for the Red Sox in my opinion, right? Either he goes out West and we never see him again. So be it. Or he stays in New York and he gives them the financial headaches for the next decade and and their team's going to be weaker for it. It's a deal that New York had to do. Steinbrenner got a lot of favor with his fan base by essentially bypassing Cashman and was like, hey, you want nine years? You want whatever number? Let's get this done. I want you to be a Yankee. You want to be a Yankee? Let's figure this out. And the rest of the Major League Baseball now gets to to reap the spoils of it, right? Um, it's, it's incredible. I mean, I think you can hear the joy in my voice knowing that, you know, sure. He's going to beat us in the regular season from time to time. He's going to send balls deep into the night over, over the green monster. And, you know, it'll be gut wrenching at that moment, but the dude hasn't won anything. All of his best seasons have ended in absolute disaster at the hands of some other team. I'm fine with it. Bring it on. Let's see him for nine more years. So, um, it's really hard to follow Cody when he, uh, when, yeah, I'm just kidding. Uh, so real talk, nine years, 360 million, 40 biggins a year. Am I going to go so far as to say empty calories? I don't know. 
you can't hit you still have to stroke 62 out of the park uh, i don't know what his split was at home and away what i will say is that aaron judge went one for 16 in the alcs in 2022 so to cody's point this guy who does not get it done when it matters the most is a guy that hits barely 200 in the playoffs and truth be told the first 162 games really don't matter no one gives a crap the playoffs is where it's at. The Red Sox are going to be facing them, not 19 times next year, because they're going to be doing a little bit more of an even schedule. So for that, I'm happy. Aaron Judge might have snuffed the Yankees. I thought he was going to get over $400 million. I thought he was going to get something like 42 43 uh, average annual value. For but at the end of the day, I mean... How many years of those nine years are we going to be getting a fully healthy Aaron Judge, regardless of how many juice balls are in New York or not? Six, six and a half. That means the Yankees tossed 120 million out the window for an all rise section in left field or right field or wherever the hell it is at Yankee Stadium. No one cares. Do you know how much you can do with $40 million? Like, you can get a couple quality starters. You can get a, a closer, $16 million on the closer. You're getting perhaps another superstar pitcher if we're lucky, hopefully. You can sign Devers. You can sign Bogarts. You can still sign Bogarts and another player for that $40 million. You, you're, you, there are endless opportunities and endless choices. I'm ecstatic that he's still in the AL East. Because it's just going to mean that the Yankees are kind of tied up for the next nine years, and a fifth of their salary for the year is going to go towards one dude. So I'm pulling up Stanton's contract right now. He is under contract through... 2027 with a team option. Wow. So he's kind of most of the way through that contract. Um, that's five years remaining, uh, counting 2023. But by the end of their contracts, Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, Garrett Cole, the Yankees will have paid out over $1 billion <laughs> amongst those three. That's insane. And they got DJ LeMayhew for uh, at least another three or four years. Uh, that's not... He was injured this year, has an injury history. This is a team that's going to be very old here in a few years. Lots of guys in their 30s. Lots of guys going on and off the injured list. You know, I'm not rooting for it, but... You, we don't know how uh, an offensive position player that's six, seven or taller is going to hold up. We just haven't seen it and it, it hasn't worked out so far in their careers. They've, uh, they've each missed time. Stanton goes on the injured list for almost anything. It seems like, but like the Bogarts deal, the judge deal should be okay for at least a few years. Um, I think it's good for baseball that he stays in New York. I think it's good for the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry. Um, it, it was kind of crazy, though, yesterday. I mean, everybody was positive he had signed a deal for like a 30-minute period. Heyman comes out with a tweet. It looks like he might have signed with, with the Yankees. Uh, excuse me, with the Giants. That was the buzz in the lobby out there at the hotel that the winter meetings are at. Susan Slusser, who uh, I think spent most of her career as a Yankees reporter, now works for the Giants, also indicated that a deal might have just gotten done. So I I was beside myself. I was like, oh, my God, is he really going to San Francisco? Like, is that happening? And um, apparently... His sole purpose for going to those meetings was to meet with the San Diego Padres of all teams. They offered him 10 years, $400 million. He turned that down. 
he turned that down. I don't know what the figure from the Giants was. I think it was right around what uh, the Yankees offered, but uh, still, you know, Judge loves New York. He he played that song outside the Red Sox clubhouse, New York, New York, uh, after game, I think game two of the 2018 uh, ALCS, so uh, or ALDS rather. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm not shocked at all. That was where I had him going all along. I will admit my confidence was a little shook after the season ended. He's he's unfriending the Yankees on all of his apps, and um, so it just kind of kind of softened me up a little bit. But New York just made too much sense. That's where the history is, and that's where that's where he wants to play. So. I have been checking Twitter pretty persistently, and there is nothing new. So we could be back tomorrow night if news breaks. Um, But for now, that is all we have. So hopefully everyone is enjoying their week. And um, we'll be back with you again as soon as everything breaks. Take care.